Jeez, I don't know if you got this down here, but uh, there was a, a famous cartoon called The Far Side. Anybody know The Far Side cartoon? All right, that was a, that was a classic. And uh, it became known for its offbeat humor and its talking animals, its dark themes and kind of uh, making uh, the ordinary funny. And that ran from 1980 to 1995, so they're hard to find anymore. But uh, I'm on a Facebook page, like a group page, where uh, everybody, are, they're all fans of the Far Side, and so they continue to post these old Far Side comic strips. And uh, they're just, they bring back so many funny memories. So I was looking at one this past week, and, and this one uh, is one of my favorites. You may, you may be familiar with this one. The Midvale School for the Gifted, as this kid uh, pushes his way as hard as he can on a door that says pull right in front of his eyes. So it's funny, for obvious reasons, this kid is supposed to be gifted, and yet he can't figure out that he's supposed to pull this door uh, instead of pushing it. And he's uh, leaning all his weight against it as hard as he can, but the door won't open because he's doing it the wrong way. And this, of course, reminds me of Israel in our passage this morning. Uh, Israel was gifted in every way. Theirs was the adoption of sons. Theirs was the covenants. Theirs was the law. Theirs was the prophets. Theirs was the patriarchs through whom uh, Jesus came. But when Jesus came, they rejected him and they refused him because the Jews wanted to enter the kingdom of heaven. But the door would not open because they were trying to open it wrong. They were pushing when they should have pulled. And so we've been in this section of Romans now for a while, from chapters 9 to 11, which answers the question, what about the Jews? And that question arose from Paul's teaching in chapter 8. Uh, Paul taught very uh, uh, conclusively that one can never be separated uh, from the love of Jesus Christ, uh, the certainty and security of that once they have placed their faith in Jesus for salvation. And in chapter 9, Paul answered several questions that he anticipated his readers would ask, uh, since this is true. They would say, what about the Jews? Uh, many of them have not been saved, so has the word of God failed? Uh, and so uh, Paul said, answering this question from the perspective of God's sovereignty, answered several questions that he thought his readers might ask uh, in most of chapter 9. Uh, from the perspective of God's sovereignty, God chooses who are his. God is sovereign in election. And that does not mean that the word of God has failed because only those who are of true Israel, those who are the spiritual descendants of Israel, those are the ones who would be saved, those who have the faith of Abraham, not necessarily the heritage of Abraham. Uh, we learn that election doesn't depend on heritage, nor does it depend on works, because God chose Jacob over Esau before the twins were even born and before they had done anything good or bad. Well, they might ask, doesn't that make God unjust? Well, that doesn't make God unjust. Paul answers that God is not unjust to choose some over others. Uh, every single person deserves his wrath because every single person has sinned. And so God is free to show his mercy to some and not to others. He's allowed uh, to take from this huge, sinful lump of human sinful clay to take some of those from the lump of clay and to show his mercy to them. Uh, he did that for Moses. He did not do that for Pharaoh, and he's well within his rights to do so. Well, they might ask, uh, why does he blame us then? If God is sovereign, uh, how can he blame us? And Paul answered that we have no right to even ask the question. He is the potter, we are the clay. 
But Paul did answer the question. He said, uh, though uh, God passes over someone, uh, if he passes over someone, it's only because he has allowed them to continue on this path of sinfulness uh, toward destruction that they have willfully chosen. It's a path of rebellion against God. And God changes the hearts of some, but not all. And he makes them, those whose hearts he has changed, he makes them objects of his mercy while leaving the others to, to head on their path to destruction. God has that right because God is sovereign in election. But there is another side to God's election, and that is the human decision to receive Christ as Savior. And Paul shifted into that topic at the end of chapter 9. We started looking at that last week. Uh, he said that there is only one way to receive God's righteousness, and we all need God's righteousness. The only way to get it is through faith in Jesus Christ, and that involves a human decision. Jesus died on the cross for the sin of the world, to pay for our sins, to pay the penalty that we deserve for our sins, and to uh, receive the benefits of what Jesus did on the cross. We have to grab those benefits by faith, by believing in Jesus Christ. And that is the gospel, brothers and sisters. That's the gospel. He died on the cross for our sins, but a person has to believe it by trusting in Jesus for uh, Jesus' own sacrifice for their salvation, rather than trying to achieve salvation in their own power. And the gospel was a stumbling block to Jews. Uh, many Jews. The Jews tried to receive God's righteousness through their own works, through their own uh, efforts, through their own keeping of the law, and they failed. They pushed when they should have pulled. And the Gentiles, on the other hand, many of them believed uh, in Jesus, and they received God's righteousness by faith according to God's plan. And so Paul's point is that, yes, God is sovereign, and yet people are still responsible to choose Christ. And most Jews didn't choose him. Many Gentiles did. And so in chapter 10, uh, Paul takes a deeper dive, as it were, into the problem with the Jews. Why didn't the Jews turn to Christ and be saved? Uh, yes, God sovereignly elected some of Israel in eternity past, uh, but still that does not absolve Israel in the present for its rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this fact grieved Paul greatly. So verses 1 to 4, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation, for I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So we see immediately Paul's pastoral heart, right? Paul cares so deeply for his countrymen because this conversion experience that he had in Acts chapter 9 changed him. Uh, he had met the risen Lord, and then Jesus gave him work to do. Go preach this gospel near and far, because Paul now understood the glory of Jesus Christ. He wanted other people to experience the love of Jesus Christ as well. The gospel gave Paul a new heart for people, and Paul obeyed God. He obeyed the vision of Jesus Christ. And the only explanation for the dramatic conversion, the dramatic change in Paul's life is the fact that he met the risen Lord who gave him a commission to go and preach the gospel. And that commission, that, that change in Paul and his heart overflowed 
into a love for people that he hadn't previously had. And so Paul talked about his love for people in Romans chapter 9, verses 2 and 3 that we were in uh, probably about a month, month and a half ago, uh, where he said that he would gladly trade his own salvation if his fellow countrymen could be saved. And, and then Paul traveled throughout the whole known world preaching this gospel. And in every city he went to, he went to the Jews first. He went to his countrymen, his fellow brethren, to preach the gospel because he was a Jew through and through. He loved his people. He understood something that they didn't understand, and his heart was for them. He wanted them to experience the love of Jesus. But they rejected Christ, and they rejected Paul. But that didn't stop Paul. Uh, Paul continued to preach the gospel, even though they stoned him several times. They beat him with lashes several times. They left him for dead, but he never stopped preaching the good news of Jesus Christ and trying to convince them to believe. And in every city, it was only when the Jews rejected him that he then turned to the Gentiles. Can you imagine his heartache? The people he loved the most, his fellow brethren and countrymen, those were the ones who rejected Jesus Christ. And I'm sure that many of you and I can also relate to that. So Paul prayed for his countrymen, and, and that tells us something, doesn't it? Yes, God is sovereign in election. God chooses who are his, and at the same time, our prayers are effective. And that's especially true, that's always true, if they agree with God's will. Sometimes praying prayers uh, it, that are in accordance with God's will can move God to do something perhaps he not, would not ordinarily do. Remember, Abraham prayed that God would spare Sodom if 50 righteous people could be found. And, and when 50 righteous people couldn't be found, Adam, or I'm sorry, Abraham negotiated uh, with uh, God, uh, all the way down, if 10 righteous people could be saved, could be found, will you save them? Will you not destroy the city? And, and God said, I will not destroy the city. Uh, Moses prayed to God. Uh, God said to Moses, no one can see my face and live. When, when Moses said, God, show me your glory. So uh, God picks up Moses, puts him in the cleft of a rock and allows Moses to see God's back passing by, to see uh, God's glory. So we know that God answers prayer. And we know that Paul never had any problem with the apparent tension between predestination on the one hand and the effectiveness of prayer on the other hand, because we know Paul kept praying. He was a praying man, and he, he prayed that the Jews' hearts would be changed. He asked God that, that the Jews would no longer be hostile uh, to God, to keep hardening themselves, but to receive God's grace. But, you know, as much as Paul wanted them to be saved, uh, we cannot will another person to salvation. Paul did not have the power to make them believe. If Paul could have saved them, he would have. But salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit alone. Only the Holy Spirit can take a hardened heart, this hardened heart that lives inside of us, and, and soften it, make it a heart of flesh, turn it toward God, uh, stop it from living in rebellion against him and, and in only for satisfaction of self, and turn that heart into a heart that loves and submits to God. And that's why we say that although we are responsible for our decision to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will never make that decision unless God first does some kind of regenerating work in our own hearts so that we will be open to receive him. So even though we must decide God is sovereign in election, 
And even though God is sovereign in election, God will hold us responsible if we do not choose Jesus. So Paul couldn't save his countrymen, but he never stopped preaching to them or praying for them. And that's a lesson to us. We should never stop praying for our own brothers and sisters in our families, our, our, our friends, our workmates, uh, whoever. We should never stop praying for them. The thief on the cross is proof that it's never too late. God can take the most calloused heart of, of a hardened criminal while he's hanging on the cross minutes before his death, and he can turn that heart to a heart that will receive Jesus Christ. And that's true of our friends and family as well. So don't ever stop praying for the lost. Pray that they will trust in Jesus for their salvation. So we see uh, first uh, that Paul had a heart for the lost, but we also see that zeal does not equal uh, righteousness in Romans 10.2. Uh, For I testify them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. That knowledge does not lead them to righteousness. So we can be zealous for the wrong things. Uh, being zealous for God is nothing new. People have been zealous for God throughout the centuries, throughout the millennium, millennia, and zealousness for God is a good thing if it's rightly founded. Uh, we could call it enthusiasm. We ought to care passionately and deeply about the things that God cares about. But when we become misguided, when we don't understand the things that God cares about and the things that God is passionate about, then it turns into fanaticism. Uh, and the Jews measured their goodness and they measured their worthiness by how well they were able to, to keep the law, not deviating from it at any point uh, if, that were, if that were possible. They were obsessed to the point of fanaticism, pursuing God's righteousness by strict adherence to rules and regulations. They knew the law backward and forward. They, they had oral interpretations of the law that were called the Mishnah, and then they codified the Mishnah uh, along with rabbinic commentaries into something called the Talmud, uh, which was longer than the Encyclopedia Britannica. Uh, and for you kids who don't know what that is, uh, that's like Wikipedia in books before, uh, before they had uh, the internet. Uh, so the Jews, they knew their Talmud, they knew their Old Testament backward and forward. And Paul was one of these fanatics. Uh, there was no more strident Jew than Paul before his conversion. He testified about himself that he was born of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel, the esteemed uh, scholar. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees, uh, advancing in Judaism uh, well beyond his peers. Paul was the man uh, advancing as he was in his teen years. Uh, as to the law, he called himself blameless and he even was there presiding over the murder of the Christian Stephen in Acts uh, chapter 7. Uh, just before being stoned to death, Stephen had this to say about the Jews. He said, you men who are stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, and you have now become betrayers and murderers of him. You received the law as ordained by angels, and yet did not keep it. 
I mean, that's about as big of a slam as you can give to these self-righteous Jews that you can possibly imagine. And you'll remember right after that, the Jews gnashed their teeth, right? And they ran at him with their stones and they stoned him. And, and Stephen looked up to heaven, saw the clouds parting and asked, them, uh, asked God to, to receive his spirit while asking for forgiveness for these Jews. So this is a very strong and accurate indictment of the Jews. And Paul was right there with them, giving his approval for this execution. And following uh, Stephen's execution, Paul went from house to house, everywhere he could, looking for Christians so that he could arrest them and bring them to justice. Paul was a religious radical, just like his Jewish countrymen before he met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. And now after he met Jesus Christ, he realized that his fanaticism was misplaced. And he knew that his brothers and sisters earnestly tried to earn salvation by keeping the law because that's what Paul did too. But Paul abandoned his Jewish uh, zeal to try to achieve salvation by the law, uh, but his Jewish brethren did not. And as Paul explained, they were zealous, but they were zealous for the wrong things. Paul called that being zealous without knowledge. Now, it's good to be enthusiastic, and it's good to be passionate. It's good to study the Word of God. It's good to pray for others. It's good to worship God and to tell others about Him. That is zealousness with knowledge, when we understand the gospel that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. But the Jews were eager to earn favor with God by their performance, by keeping the law, by impressing men uh, by the things that they did, by, by praying loud prayers uh, on the streets, by, by praying loud prayers in their garments and in their robes, in the synagogues and in the marketplace, uh, making a big show when they gave, uh, contorting their faces when they were fasting so everybody would know that they were in discomfort and, and fasting because they were such holy people. Well, that is zealousness without knowledge. Works, no matter how vigorously pursued, will never be the means of salvation. God's only means of salvation by faith. It's always been by faith. The Jews were sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. And the outcome of their error is death because a person's zealousness cannot save him when it's in the wrong thing. So if you truly believe with all your heart that two plus two equals five, if you believe with all your might that the earth uh, is uh, revolved around by the sun or that the earth is flat, well, you might be as sincere in that as you can possibly be, and yet you could not be more wrong. You're wrong. That is, those things are not right. And if you write that on your paper, your teacher will rightly give you an F. You deserve an F for believing things like that, no matter how passionately you happen to hold these things. No amount of personal conviction makes something wrong right. Well, the Jews were God's chosen people. He gave them the law. He gave them the covenants. He gave them the prophets, but they did not recognize their Messiah when he came. Had they followed him, they would have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, instead, they chose a form of self-righteousness, trying to be saved by what they did rather than by faith. And their works could not save them, just like our works cannot save us. We must be righteous to be saved, but we will never be righteous on our own. We have no righteousness in ourselves. We have to have God's righteousness, which is a gift, and it's a gift that only God can give. We see that righteousness comes from God only. For not knowing 
about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. So they did not know the righteousness of God. Another way to say it is that they did not know how to get God's righteousness. They got Jesus wrong. He came to save the lost, but they did not recognize him or receive him. The Jews expected a military Messiah who would overthrow Rome, uh, restore Israel to the glory that it had a thousand years earlier under David and Solomon, not uh, living under this oppression of Rome in their face all the time. Uh, but Isaiah 53 prophesied about the suffering Messiah, a man who would come and by his stripes we would be healed. And yet when he came, they refused to believe in him. John, uh, or Jesus uh, talked about this, uh, about the Jews. He said to them in John chapter 8, verse 24, he made it so simple. He said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. It doesn't get any more simple than that. And they rejected him. So Jesus made it simple for them. God has made it simple for us to be saved. The cost to us is free. All we have to do is believe, but the cost to God was dear, very dear. Jesus had to go to the cross, die for our sins. But when we receive Jesus by faith, our sins are forgiven. Our sins are taken from our account, they're transferred to his account. And his righteousness is transferred from his account to our account, and God sees us as clean, not tainted by sin anymore. It's the best deal we will ever get. I've said that many times. Jesus makes us clean. He washes away our sin, and all it takes is a decision from us to appropriate the benefits of the cross. But if we don't do that, or if we still want to earn salvation by what we do, we will never be saved. And sadly, the Jews continued to try to establish their own righteousness. They slavishly tried to keep the law. They were arrogant about uh, their prayers and their giving and their fasting, but they were hypocrites. No one can keep the law perfectly, but they pretended that they did. And Jesus, you know, if you read his conversations with the Pharisees, he loved to call them out. And these are some of my favorite passages in the whole Bible because he just uh, called out their hypocrisy. So Matthew 23, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but don't do what they do for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the places of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. So these are just symptoms of pride and loving the praise of men. And that's what these Pharisees were all about. But this pride and loving praise blinded them uh, to the fact that they were sinners in need, of a in need of salvation. And so uh, that was their fatal flaw. Uh, but the same is true of us when we are trying to rely on anything that we might do to earn favor with God. We have to remember that we are sinners and there is nothing we can do in our own power to be saved. God only grants his righteousness to those who believe in his son alone for salvation. But because they did not, the Jews did not understand how God gives his righteousness, they did not submit 
to God's means of attaining righteousness. Now, if we were being charitable, I suppose, we could say that it was innocent ignorance, that the Jews uh, could not submit to what they did not understand. But really, that would be false. In actuality, as we've already seen in this Matthew passage, their ignorance was not innocent. It was willful, a willful rejection, as Jesus pointed out in this Matthew passage. And you'll also remember uh, when we studied back in Romans chapter 8, Paul said that the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not subject itself to the law, nor is it able to do so. And so these Jews had their minds set against God, against his plan of salvation. And when Jesus presented himself to them and said, I am he, they would not submit to him. They wanted to earn their own salvation instead of receiving it God's way. They put too much emphasis on the law. They tried to use it as a vehicle for salvation. But God's intent for the law was to show them uh, the depth of their sin and their need for a savior. And they never got that. What we understand from Paul's teaching is that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Romans chapter 10, verse 4. So when we look at this verse, it's a little bit of a difficult verse to understand. And part of the difficulty stems from the meaning of the word end. It's the Greek word telos. But what does it mean? Does it mean end as in termination? Uh, or does it mean end in terms of like the fulfillment or the goal uh, of something? And, and so uh, that's part of what the, the, the uh, disagreement's about. Did, did he end the law completely so that there's no need for Christians to worry about it at all? Or, or did he end it just in, in certain senses? So uh, without diving into all the various nuances of this and the grammar and, and, the, and the vocabulary, which I'm sure you'd love to study, but we'll save it for another time, uh, I think it's safe to say this. Uh, when Paul refers to the law, he means the whole law. So we're talking about the Ten Commandments. We're talking about the, the sacrificial uh, services that they did, uh, the sacrificial system that God uh, instituted to allow the Jews to have a means to atone for their sin, uh, the cleansing laws, the purity laws, all of these things constitutes the law. Uh, so before Christ came, uh, through the Jews' intent to keep the law, uh, they wanted to keep the law, and through their uh, obedience to the sacrificial system, when they failed to keep the law, uh, believing Jews gained God's favor by faith. They were obedient to God. Jesus hadn't come yet. He hadn't died. He hadn't been raised yet. This is the means at that time to be saved. So their, their, faith, was or their, uh, their, their faith was proven by their desire to keep the law and their obedience to the sacrificial system when they failed. But the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ changed all of that. Now a new way of salvation is ushered in. The veil is torn, and now we get to have open access to God uh, without the means of a priest mediating or a sacrificial system. Christ is the end of the law in the sense that even faithful, well-meaning submission to the law and the sacrifices would no longer be acceptable to God. Salvation cannot be gained that way uh, anymore because now it's faith in Jesus Christ. And obedience to the sacrificial system means rejection of Jesus Christ. And, and so that's what Paul means by the end of the law in that sense. Uh, so salvation can only be gained through faith in Christ. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the law is no longer relevant because it's God's moral standard. And we as Christians, if we want to uh, 
uh, know God's character and, and be in, in obedience and compliance with God's character, well, then we do keep the law, but we don't keep it uh, as a means of attaining salvation. We keep it as a means of, of pleasing God and living in conformance with his character. So maybe goal or purpose or fulfillment is a better way to say it. Uh, Christ is the, is the purpose of the law, the fulfillment of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Because the law pointed to Christ. In Galatians 3, Paul said that the, that the law is a tutor that leads us to Christ. And, and in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Not one uh, jot or tittle will be stricken from the law until all has been fulfilled. And so I think that's what's going on here. Uh, no one can keep the law perfectly, but Christ did keep the law perfectly. And then he died for our sins and rose from the dead, offering himself in our place. And so now righteousness is by faith in Jesus Christ and not adhering to the law and the sacrificial system for sin, to atone for sin, no matter how well-meaning or well-intentioned it may be. And for the Jews, this was a big stumbling block and they stumbled over it. For the Gentiles, this was really good news. And since you and I are Gentiles, this is great news for us too. It means that we have access to Jesus Christ. We have access to the gospel. And so God's salvation is available to everyone. And all that we need to do is believe. All that's required is faith. So this gospel, as we see in the end of verse 4 here, righteousness to everyone who believes, right? And, and so it's conditional. We must believe. Uh, so again, we see the human side of salvation, this idea that we have responsibility. We're required to believe. Christ's righteousness is given to all who? Who believe, right? All who believe. So it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter how much we have sinned. If we believe in Jesus for salvation, when God looks at us, he sees his righteous son, his spotless lamb. But on the other hand, for those who refuse to believe, they will be held to the law's standards, perfection, perfect obedience, absolute perfect obedience. So everyone has sinned. And apart from Jesus Christ, there is no way to atone for sin. And so everyone who has to stand, everyone will have to stand before God someday. And, and if we happen to go before God and we say to him, uh, I didn't know about Jesus, or I gave to the poor, I was baptized, I never stole or killed anybody. Well, none of that is going to be good enough to stand before God. We can't come to God clothed in our own righteousness. The only way to satisfy God's wrath against sin is through the blood of Jesus Christ. So don't be among those who boast in their works on judgment day. They will experience God's wrath in hell for all eternity. Well, let's think about some applications. The first one is this. We need to ask, for, ask God for Paul's zeal for the lost. Paul was a tireless evangelist. I wish I had 10% of Paul's energy uh, but then in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul said, I labored more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. So Paul even recognized that it was God working through him. And if we want Paul's zeal, we have to ask God for it. We have to ask God to fill us with uh, this kind of zeal. Uh, and the only way we're going to reach the lost is to care more about them, to love them more like Paul did, to ask God for this zeal and then say to God, I am available, use me. 
There's just no telling how much God might accomplish through one person who is on fire for God and is available to him. So ask God for Paul's zeal. Second, seek knowledge, but be discerning. You know, we live in this information and technology age now where, where we can know anything in the snap of a finger, right? A Google search, a YouTube search, whatever we didn't know, now we know. And that's incredibly convenient, but it's also extremely dangerous. Now there is so much false teaching everywhere we look because, uh, you know, you don't have to have any kind of qualification to post something on the internet, to, to make a video and post it on YouTube. Uh, and we don't know who these people are who we're looking at, but they have the ability to, to be able to post something. And so we might fall victim to believing something that they say. Uh, even today's news doesn't have to contain verifiable facts, right? That's not a, a, a factor in the news anymore. It's what sells that is important now. So that's why it's so important for us to be discerning. We have to test our teacher and teachers. Uh, the Jews, they had extensive knowledge, didn't they? We've already talked about that. Uh, they knew chapter and verse of the Old Testament and the Talmud, but still their knowledge was lacking because it didn't lead them to a proper understanding of who Jesus is and what he did. So you can cut through all the, the glitter, all the flash, all the charisma of the most charismatic preacher that you can think of by asking one simple question. Who is Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? And if they say anything other than Jesus is God in the flesh who came and lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins in our place, and then rose from the dead, if they say anything other than that about Jesus, well, they are a false teacher. Run like crazy. Don't get caught chasing after knowledge that leads to death. Be discerning. Seek knowledge, but be discerning. And finally, if God says pull, don't push. If I handed you a winning lottery ticket and I told you all you have to do is take this ticket down to the store that I bought it at to redeem it, would you try to redeem that ticket another way? No, you'd go and collect your millions the way I told you to. God the Father says Jesus is the only way in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, what? That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus said he was only the, way, the only way in John chapter 14. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So if God says pull, don't push. Trust him. Do it his way. Don't do it your way. Don't live under the delusion that you're good enough. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. Humble yourself under God. He is the end of the law for righteousness. Admit that you're a sinner in need of salvation and trust in Jesus' work on the cross alone for your salvation. Amen, brothers and sisters. Amen. Lord God, we do thank you for your glorious word. We thank you that you have given us a way to your son Jesus and that Lord, by simple faith, just by believing in the gospel that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, we can have salvation, Lord. It's not through a series of uh, works that we do, laws that we create for ourselves, uh, trying to be better than the guy next to us. Lord, you don't care about any of that. You care about faith in your son. Lord, I pray that if anyone hearing my voice today does not have that faith, that they would turn to you, Lord, repent of their sins, receive the love of Jesus Christ, and be saved. We pray in his precious name. Amen.